All right, folks, welcome to the Coastal Advocacy Adventures podcast. We're in the city of stoplights, also known as <laughs> Bay City, Texas. I've learned if you want to go down 35, don't get in a hurry coming through Bay City because it's going to slow you down. Absolutely. So we're here um, We're here in Bay City. We've got uh, Captain Jerry West and Captain Matt David. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Um, why don't you all go ahead and start us off with some introductions, uh, Jerry. Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. My name is Jerry West. I grew up here in Bay City, the city of stoplights, as you said, as a young kid running the streets, but uh, immediately fell in love with the, the area as far as the coast and fishing. Uh, grew up, went to school here, graduated Went to the Army for three years and came out and went to work for the railroad. Worked for them 36 years, but uh, immediately after going to work for the railroad, people was like, where are you from? And I said, Bay City. And they said, oh, man, I'm coming down here to go fishing with you guys. And kind of picked up on it then. And since I retired, I, I got my captain's license right as I retired, but I've been guiding since. And... Really enjoy it. I kind of look at it like a teacher. You take people out on the water and, you know, you show them what a good good time it can be. Um, I enjoy it every, every day of it, but, you know, it can turn out to be a job too like anything else. And and uh, first thing I tell people when we leave out the harbor, let's go have some fun, you know, and that's what it's about. Yeah. A lot of people think you can just pull right up to a shoreline and start catching fish, but, you know, it doesn't work that way all the time. But that's where, you know, it's important that you keep your interest and and go on, you know, and show them the the benefits of going with a guide. Yeah. How much were you fishing when you're working for the railroad? um, Do you have a lot of time off? Like how much time were you able to dedicate to fishing and kind of um, hone your craft? Well, really, you know, when I first worked probably 20 years with the railroad, I had every weekend off, every holiday. And, uh, of course, I was raising a family, too, and that took a lot of time. Mm-hmm. But every available time, I, I was on the water. You know, before boats, we <clears throat> we would actually have four-wheel drive trucks. We'd go down the beach and come back to the bay from the shoreline, yeah. fish the shoreline, if we weren't floundering at night, you know, so... Every available time I had, I was on the water. And what about you, Matt? Well, my name is Captain Matthew David. I grew up in uh, Quitman, Texas, about 45 miles north of uh, Tyler on the uh, Great Lake of uh, Lake Fork. And uh, my background as far as fishing up there, I lived up there till I was about 12, and uh, we would predominantly bass and crappie fish um did a lot of wintertime crappie fishing up there um <clears throat> then in, i moved to houston uh like i said when i was about 12 uh my grandmother lived down on the port and i did a lot of fishing down there at uh, shore acres and houston yacht club and along with the uh, sylvan beach um got introduced to saltwater fishing none of my uh bass tackle worms or spinner baits worked anymore it was uh quite the transition for me uh 
but I had some old timers that kind of took me underneath their wing and, and, uh, showed me what's up. And then, uh, fish Galveston, uh, West Bay till I was about 25. And then we moved, uh, down to Matagorda and been fishing here about 15 years. How did you get into the guide business? Um, well, I've always been very passionate about, you know, fishing and hunting and, and just nature in general. And, uh, one of my mentors started guiding and I started fishing on my own. And then after about six years of running my own vessel is when I started guiding and, uh, went and got my captain's license and, uh, got after it. Did that start in Galveston, or did it start when you already moved over here to Matagorda? Uh, it started in Matagorda. It did? Yes, sir. And folks call you? Matagorda Matt. And how'd that happen? Uh, <laughs> a buddy of mine called me up one weekend. He's actually from Pennsylvania. His name's Dan Pasegna. And uh, Dan called me up, and he says, hey, Matt, what are you doing? I said, going to Matagorda. So he's like, all right. Calls me up next weekend. What are you doing, Matt? Going to Matagorda. And uh, he's like, okay. Calls me up the third week. Goes, Matagorda, Matt, what's up? <laughs> I'm going fishing, buddy. Oh, that's great. That's you got great. tagged, didn't you? <laughs> yes, sir. Well, it sticks. It suits you well. I like it. Thank you, sir. Um, so, Jerry, how many years do you have in the guide business? I'm looking probably – Going on my tenth year now. On your tenth? How about uh, you, Matt? I'm on number six. So I got sixteen years in front of me. All right. That's awesome. That's pretty special. Well, you know, th- there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, of course, I was president with the CCA here for three years as a guide too, and I encourage the other guides to to get involved with CCA and, and a big ad, uh, advocate for it. But you know. There's, there's there's a lot of avenues that, as a guide that, that you can participate in, you know, getting people on the water and get getting their interest into it. I feel like if you can get the young people involved, you know, they'll grow up in that, that same atmosphere that I did, and, you know, it's all good. Is, is it hard when you're getting started those first couple of years to get that, that client base? I mean, what are some of the oh, things absolutely. you have to do to get – to get folks on your boat well you're right it it, it can be really hard uh challenging especially when you guide in an area that's really predominantly a lot of guides in that area uh one of our best aspects going right here is the fact that east matagorda bay can hold some really good trout quality fish but as far as getting your guide business going there's there's a lot of a lot of ways, and I've found, you know, word of mouth is your your best advocate. Uh, you take people out, you treat them right, you, you show them how to fish. They catch fish, whether they do it or not. They know that you've really, you know, busted your butt to put them on fish. And, you know, you can't, I mean, you can't hide that fact. If if you're really truthful with people, they'll see it, you know, and, and they'll come back. Well, they'll talk to friends of theirs and it'll come back to you too i've advertised and such as that but really when people come to me they say oh you know larry fished with you and he says you're a good guy 
Yeah. There you go. And I mean, everybody, every most guides I've seen, you got to have a website, right? You've got it. Absolutely. Do you have a social media presence, Matt? Are you? Uh, yes, sir. I have a social media also. I do it on my personal page, and then I have uh, No Slack Guide Service is my business page, and uh, I regularly post fishing reports, hunting reports. Um, we do photos and videos and stuff like that. Uh, also have a wrap on the back of my truck, and that's how I've gotten some of my best clients. Really? You know, I'll be stuck in traffic, and some guy sees it and calls yeah. me up and uh, and whatnot, and uh I I agree with uh, with Jerry about you know really teaching your clients. You know we have a lot of novice that come down and and have no clue on you know what's going on. Uh, some of them are first time fishermen, um, and you know I have a saying on my boat: if you're not learning something, I'm not doing my job. And uh, you know I really try to inform them you know, about the habitat, uh, what's going on with the fish, the weather, the tides, you know, just everything, the whole environment. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before we started recording here, and Jerry had commented that, you know, every day is different, every, you know, the environment changes, the water changes, the fish change, and you have to be able to react to that. So it seems like, you know, every every day or every new client you have out there it's it's a different opportunity to teach them something new so um i assume you always you guys and, always got to be reading you know everything right yeah. and, and you got to encourage them to ask that question you know to say why are we here you know why you why did you pick this particular spot to fish and you know that that day maybe it's full of bait and they didn't see it i don't know maybe the currents have changed you know and it's moved up on the shoreline, and it's, it's pushing that bait up on the shoreline. The tides levels have changed. I target a lot of flounder, and uh, people have come to me a lot of times about, how do you catch those flounder? Well, I look for them, you know. I go for it. And I tell my people, I said, don't just fish with your pole. Fish with your eyes, your ears, everything you've got. And I said, another thing that's really important, when you catch a fish, whether you landed or not if you hook up a fish or even have a hit remember what you were doing at that time i mean where was your bait you know what direction did you see a mullet jump and, and threw right in that area target those spots yeah i'm always forgetting that fact you know i you i get so wrapped up into that act of catching the fish that i forgot what i did you know to actually catch it right 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 you really have to analyze it you know i have an old school trick that i'll share with the listeners and that's when i catch a fish uh, especially if it's on an artificial i'll take the slime that's on my hand and put it back on the bait and wipe it on there and you know, maybe it's a superstition, maybe whatever. Hey, whatever gives you more confidence, works. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I've fished with a lot of guides and all up and down the coast. I, that's what I really love to do. I love to go to a new country and, and fish with different guides and pick up on them. And, and that's what you go with a guide with in my book. Sure, you want to learn areas that he's fishing, but you want to learn what he's doing to do that. But one particular guy, he told me this. He said every time he casts, and we're fishing, I'm talking strictly artificial, mm-hmm. that 
he expects to catch a big fish on that particular cast. And you got to go. He with has that. that mentality. Exactly. Yeah. And like he said, you know, you got to be zeroed in on what you're doing. And you said it too. You know, let everything else go and let's fish. You know, let's fish this particular spot here. I saw a big swirl. You know, that didn't just happen. There's a fish there somewhere. And then you break it down, you know, let's narrow it down. This is a big playing field we're looking at as a whole base system. Let's get it down to where we can funnel into what we're targeting and fish for that particular fish. Yeah. Now, do you, you said you like to go after flounder. I mean, what if you had to break down your trips, trout, red, flounder, where do you spend most of your time with your clients? Well. Or you just go go out for the experience and for right. the I've, I don't have that many clients that come to me and say, hey, man, let's go just catch flounder. But I do go flounder fishing for myself and another friend of mine. We've got it pretty good. I mean, we know how each other fish. And when we do that, I want to fish drains. I want to fish those towheads mm-hmm. where those flounder are moving. And I really want to catch a falling tide if I can do it. And they're coming out of the marsh. I've got some pictures of flounder feeding, and people say that when you see a flounder come out of the water, you can't catch them. That's really not true. The The problem there is these flounder are moving. you got to move with them, yeah. and you got to fish fan cast every bit of it before you catch them. But uh, flounders... Uh, so that's more fin- of a personal... Preference. Preference, yeah. Yeah, and, you know... Uh, you say, how, where do I spend my time with clients? I mainly want to put them on fish, trout especially. And usually for me, trout is an early, early bite. And, it, you know, if you don't catch them in the first couple of hours, you know, you, you're going to have to move or whatever. And another thing about trout, too, they're moving. They're constantly moving. I learned that fishing the surf. I mean, hell, we'd pull out on the surf and the birds are working. Sure, we'd jump out there in the gut and start catching trout. Well, heck, I look back, my truck's a mile back behind me because mm-hmm. I follow those fish all the way down the shoreline. It's the same way in the bays. I mean, these fish are moving, and you got to move with them. And now, as the day goes on and the trout bite kind of backs off, you got to go deeper. Because they actually move out to the deeper water. They're not up shallow. Then you want to target your redfish or your flounder. And then, you know, in the afternoon when the tides start coming back in, those trout are coming back in with that tide. So, you know, like you said earlier, it's constantly changing. Yeah. What about you, Matt? If you had a, if you had a preference, what do you enjoy fishing for? Well, I love uh, wade fishing for, for big trout. Um you know, when I have clients that come and wade fish with me, I tell them that it's equivalent to archery hunting for uh, a big buck. You know, you can't go out there making a bunch of noise, uh, subtle movements. I mean, you're going to need to cover some water. Um, but uh, we throw a lot of different baits uh, in the springtime. I'm a big fan of the uh, she-dog. I like to use it because it tends to really get them to react 
I mean, they angrily or aggressively really hit it. Yeah. Um, this time of year, what I like to do is uh, throw a lot of corkies. Um, Steve Lures has uh, a new one that's called the Bug Eye. You know, Steve is uh, Paul Brown's son and uh, one of my sponsors and a great guy. And uh, they have this Bug Eye, which is kind of like a corky floater. It stays just subsurface. So it's just a few inches below yeah. the surface. Okay. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, for working that shallow water, it's it's an awesome bait. Uh, Steve also makes the broken back, and uh, that's another good one. And when you're working those, do you, do you do you work the speed relative to the water temperature, or is there a certain way you like to do that? Yeah, absolutely, um, uh, Shane. When when it's uh, cooler, obviously everything's more lethargic. We'll slow it down. When it's uh, warmer, and we actually have active bait, you know, we may speed it up quite a bit. And uh, don't forget to pause it. I mean, a lot of times on that pause, that's when they're just gonna slam it. You know. Um, I do like tails. I know a lot of people don't like throwing tails, uh, for, for, for trophy caliber fish, but, uh, I tell you what, I think, you know, I think they work. I throw a lot of gamblers, um, down South lures, um, all those, you know, I think it's important because those fish are eating sand deals, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and whatnot. The reason I throw a lot of corkies in the wintertime is because the mullet never leave the bay. The shrimp and everything else do, but the mullet never leave the bay. Yeah. And see, uh, Shane, Matt's exactly right on that. Uh, if you're targeting big fish, you don't want to be stomping around. You, and he's correct on the analogy of a white-tailed deer hunting. Big trout know you're there. I mean, if they know you're there, you're not going to get him. And so... I've had people actually, I have to slow them down, you know. We'll, we'll even see tailing redfish, and they think they're going to charge into them and catch them and just scatter them, you know. But uh, you got to think like a fish. You know, you got to think like, you know, what would it take to get this fish to come up and hit that big bait? And that's what they're doing. And, and wintertime fishing, that's what they're looking for because there's not any small bait out there anymore. So for, for um, trophy trout, uh, fishing artificial weight fishing you got a spot where you like to go to about how far are you going to stop the boat and sneak into the water how much space do you do you give that as far as possible really i, I you know i i try to drift in or trolling motor in i don't mm-hmm. i don't blow in a lot of, a lot of people come blowing in and just jump out of the boat and expect to catch fish well they might have to go quarter mile before they start catching fish and then again those lucky people can do that and start catching fish you just never know but if you're looking for big fish it isn't going to happen that way yeah i agree with jerry uh you know i really like to kind of cut my boat off upwind and let the wind push me into where i want to park and come in quiet and you know, you can't be slamming coolers and, and latches and all that stuff. And even when you decide to slide into the water, that's exactly what you need to do. You need to slide in the water quietly, you know. And uh, it's it's spot and, spot and stalk time after that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that aspect of that type of fishing really is, I mean, I, I like that because I, 
I love archery hunting. I love stealth, you know, going in stealth mode and that sort of thing. And I think, I think you're right, Matt. It's it's just a new, it's just another level of of, of angling. And um, I, any any other trip uh, tips or tactics you guys can well, you share? Know, with, with Shane, that. Shane, what I see now, is the young people coming up now, they're more polished. I mean, they know this. They read it. They hear it. Maybe they've been out with other people that are doing it and they've learned it. It's not like it was the old days. I mean, people line up on the shoreline and catch every fish they wanted, you know, and just mm-hmm. throw them in a cooler. Now people are targeting good fish, quality fish. And, uh, of course, like I say, being involved with CCA as long as I have been, you know, I saw the, uh, what, they, what they call it, scoping agreements and everything before the limits were changed. And... Really, I, I you know I questioned it, but I see the the benefits of it. Uh, these young people now, they you know they don't know what it was like back then. They think, well, we had the glory days, which we probably did, but uh, there's a lot more fishermen today than there ever has been. Yeah. And you know, I I put a lot of it with the equipment. We've really got really good tackle, really good rods, really good lures. You know, you didn't have it back in my day. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's important that you, you know, pay attention to everything around you when you're out there on the water. So you referenced the uh, the limit, the five trout limit um, that went into effect. It's south of uh, 457 at Sargent for the Middle Coast. How? You know, how much, you, you said fishing is, I think you said it's better, but, I mean, how much of a change have you seen? Or do, you, do you feel like, in your experience, that you're seeing more fish in the water, or do you just see better quality fish, or both? Well, you know, like I said, I, I, I attended one of the first scoping agreements as held in Port Lavaca before they changed the regulation to five. And I saw old-timers like me really upset about you know mm-hmm. taking my fish away from me and everything and i straddled the fence i'm not gonna lie to you you know i i didn't know which way to go with it but i've never been one to keep the small trout you know and i've never been one to keep the small flounder or redfish but uh i wanted the better fish you know i wanted a better quality fish and since the change the five trout limit I've really, really seen a big change, you know, in, in the quality of fish. Uh, another thing that's really benefited our base system was the fact that we had rains last year, and that fresh water is such an important ingredient for our base systems. And I, I really do think that our five trout limit has, has really increased our, you know, quality of fish. I think it had a um, sunset provision in it when it was passed, and I, and I should know when this comes up, but it's it should be pretty soon, in the next year or so, yeah. maybe two years. So I think I think that discussion is going to be had again, and so any, you know, any input, whether it's you know you like it or you don't, or you right. see value in it or you don't. I mean, that's I think Parks and Wildlife is going to need to hear that, and it's going to be valuable. For them, Shane, if I had to put input into it, I'd say, why did we stop it at 457? Up, you know, 
why didn't we make it the whole entire you know coastline well i i can i think i can answer that to a to a point to a degree is you know parks and wildlife when they when they first started the um when the five trout movement was started down in, in the lower laguna right the philosophy of like regionalized management was was pushed in that you know we're going to treat these these bay systems or these joining bay systems separate differently according to to the data and and also to public input and so um you know they started down south and there the the data started to suggest that the middle coast needed some needed, some relief right and there was also you know there was pressure there from the from the public as well for it to happen not everybody obviously but some people and and so now it's moved up to the middle coast right now um the data isn't suggesting that it's needed on the upper coast it very well could someday i would say in all likelihood that it will eventually and and then i think you could see you know some scoping sessions and some 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 data gathering to see if you know if that needs to go up further up the coast well i think with uh galveston and all that area i think when uh, hurricane ike came through it really kind of flushed out the marsh and everything else and uh it just rebounded t- from what i've heard and seen and talked to you know other fishermen yeah uh, and that the, you know the numbers of fish up there have just been incredible you know one of the downfalls is though you know you you hear of one spot having 80 boats on it after some of these hard rains because the rains end up pushing the fish you know to a different they're all concentrated yeah Yeah. concentrated on a certain salinity level um you know and then guys going in there and just whacking limits you know day in and day out you know uh, from that aspect you know it can kind of hurt the fishery yeah but yeah well, has it affected your business at all? I mean, if you did you right after it happened, did you see a, a decrease in your your clients from that maybe traveled down from Dallas or San Antonio or from from far away that didn't want to come down to the coast just to catch five trout? Shane, to be honest, I really haven't. I really haven't. Uh, I've been real fortunate. I've had some really good people come on board with me, and and ninety nine percent of them are are looking for quality fish. You know. And uh, when you fillet five trout out for them, you're looking almost a, a gallon Ziploc bag full of fillets. I mean, some good quality fish, and you know they're quite happy with that. Yeah. And these bonus fish is red and flounder, you know. So you put it all together, even drum, you know. But uh, no, I haven't seen a yeah big effect of. I mean, from what I'm hearing, like the mentality is changing amongst the public, and five is becoming at least, you know, sergeant on south. That's the new norm, and I think it's been, you know, eighty percent of folks are in support of it now that we've been doing it for this amount of time. So, right. I think it's uh, been pretty beneficial. I think the quality has uh, gotten better over the time. Um, you know. We had a pretty hard freeze about three years ago that killed a lot of big fish. And, uh, you know, when you have stuff like that and then fishing pressure, um, you know, it it needs a little break. 
you know, and it's good for the resource. And, uh, you know, five fish is enough for anybody to take home because you need to take those fish home for yourself and for your direct family. You don't need to go give them to other people. You don't need to stockpile your freezer. If you have fish in the freezer, you don't, you shouldn't be keeping fresh fish, you know. I've heard a lot of people say they don't like, you mean like to freeze trout. Right. No. I mean, like eat it, eat, eat, keep what you're going to eat fresh, you know, don't freeze it because if your freezer goes out, then, you know, what happens to those fish? They're wasted. Yeah. Well, and the other ones, if they've stuck back in there for three months, they're not any good by the time. You that's get, what, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, they're gone. What's the deal with that? They just turned to mush or? Well, they, they just the taste of it sours, but, but uh, they freeze or burn. Unless you vacuum seal. Yeah. And very few people are going to take the time to vacuum seal fish fillets because it takes a little work to do that. Yeah. So um, we talked about five fish. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to get – I wanted to get to that and see if you all saw, you know, impacts from that. Um, I wanted I kind of wanted to get back to the guide business. We strayed off of that. We, we <laughs> so maybe I don't want to talk about it. But, well, um, you know, I was fortunate. I was able to hold a job and everything. You know, I see these young guys come down, and it's so easy to jump overboard here. Uh, the price of operating a rig and then getting in business was such a competitive business. Uh, you really have to bring the clientele in. The uh, local economy has dwindled since the oil fields kind of dried up. And, you know, I encourage people to really think about it if they want to be a guide. And not everybody can be a guide because my day starts at 4 o'clock, and I'll have them back in the harbor by 4 in the evening. Well, I've still got to clean up and get ready for the next trip in the morning. So, you know, there's a lot of work goes into Yeah, it. so what are – what are some like personal qualities or attributes it takes to 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 be a guide? I mean, what does somebody have to have? Organizational skills or personality? I mean, right. Just uh, name off a few that you think, Jerry, that you think you have that 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 make you a quality guide, and then Matt can throw well, out a few. You got to be hard headed, one thing, but <laughs> but exactly like you say, you know, you have to have a, a level that you can you know communicate with your people and uh a lot of times you you know and like i said earlier i've been real fortunate i've had really good people on the boat but sometimes you got to bite your lip with some people you know when they they really come at you like we're the big guy we we know how to fish you don't need to be telling me this all right you know well i mean if you get in a bind just let me know you know but uh i you know I think more than anything, you got to be dedicated. You, you got to want that person to be successful at what they do. And I really, you know, encourage a, a young man to to take that, you know, in consideration that these people, a lot of them, haven't been on the water, and they don't know exactly what you're telling them. And hopefully, they listen to you. A uh, good example. One of my very first guided trips was three close friends that had gone to college together. They came down, and uh, 
met me in the harbor. All right, Captain, he said, what are we going to do today? I said, we're going to fish some shell reefs, catching trout. Okay, well, you got bait? Well, you know, unless you're sponsored by some lure companies, you don't have a lot of bait to be had. That's why I do, but uh, this is the particular bait I'm using. And I gave him a cocoa minnow. And we got on the reefs over here out of East Bay and by the time I positioned the boat, got them strung out, and everything got, went back and anchored the boat up so I knew it would be there when we got back. But I came in behind them and popped two good trout. God dang, where'd you find those fish? I said, <laughs> right there where I left you. <laughs> and uh went waiting along. Finally, one of them catches a fish, you know. And the other one, I'm like, what was you using? That bait the captain gave me. And he says, oh. So he shuffles around. Heck, I lost mine. <laughs> By the time I look, here comes that bag of lures that I gave him. <laughs> floating by. It had floated out of his pocket, you know. Listen to your guides, you know. and Absolutely. If, if you tell them something, you know, you expect them to listen to you. Yeah. I'm having some stuff made that says, uh, if first you don't succeed, try doing what your captain told you the first time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh prime example is uh i had one of my clients down and you know we were wading out deep we had waited to drain got out deep and we'd caught a few fish and uh, <clears throat> i had i think three or four guys that day <clears throat> and i kept telling them i said one of y'all ought to go up tight and you know hit this little reef and hit this drain and everything else and after uh trying to motivate them to go do that two or three times and them not listening i i proceeded to go up there boom 27 and a half uh get you know i cut that off the reef then i go over to the drain big flounder next cast boom another 27 and a half inch trout you know and it's just like hard heads sometimes you know you just need to clean your ears and listen (laughs) and i imagine i'm surprised it wasn't the first thing on the list but i imagine you got to be patient right oh you got it oh yeah, patience is. Yeah, you know, and sometimes they they won't feed in the morning. You know, sometimes they want to feed late. You know, um, during the summertime, I like to run a lot of afternoon trips, which is a hard deal to do because, you know, you don't know what the winds are really going to do mm-hmm. to the base system. You know, they're going to dirty it up too much, um, to where you can't get to those fish. But a lot of times you can go out there, especially in the summertime, and have the whole bay to yourself because, you know, everybody comes down, wants to go in the morning, stomps all over everything. And then, you know, 12, 1, 2 o'clock, they're, they're headed home, you know. Yeah. I call that a, a working man fishing trip. I'll, I'll meet them at the harbor like at 3 o'clock, and we'll fish till dark in the summertime. And usually that gives you a good five hours of fishing behind it. I call it the Houston Navy. Mm. <laughs> when, they, when the Houston Navy hits the bay, you know, they can turn it around. But those are really some good times to be there. And I enjoy an afternoon fishing trip. So, I mean, some of my best days have been afternoons. Uh, one day I was down in uh, in Baffin helping uh, Jesse Arsola, one of my mentors, uh, pre-fish in uh you know, uh, I told Jesse, I said, hey, bud, you know, there's some hot bait coming out over there. And, uh, you know, this is late January. I'd always go down and help him pre-fish the week 
before he started guiding down there and uh had his clients coming and uh man he made me probably walk four or five hundred yards across the badlands uh i got up wind and uh the fish wasn't very big but i caught a 28 and a half and it was only like it was pretty skinny it was only like six and a half pounds mm-hmm. so we talked to some other buddies and they didn't they didn't do anything that was the only fish we had all day and uh me and my friends went back the next day but we went in the afternoon and we went in there and they had two fish that were 30 inches one of them had never caught a 30 before uh, and then between the four of us we had 40 that were 27 to 28 inch class wow and wow. i've only had two epic days to where we've done that uh, one day we had three 30s here in matagorda and uh, we had uh, probably 30 fish that were 27 to 28 inches man yeah that's epic yeah mm-hmm. that's that's what we live for that's yeah. why we do it yeah yeah and and it can happen at any time and the only way you're going to find out is be on the water. Mm-hmm. Matt and I had a really good day last Thursday, right before this big front when it came in. And that windows, a lot of call them windows, it was open for about maybe one hour and then it was over. I mean, it it doesn't last long, you know. That bite, when it's on, you, you want to be in, in, the, in the playing field with them. Yeah, that was a great day. I mean, we stayed in the boat. We were planning to wade fish. We had got some information that the stuff had kind of wasn't panning out, and uh, we decided to stay in the boat, and we sat there and threw tails and just put a stomping on. Wow. Now, we all get a lot of clients that, that want to come fish Matagorda area tournaments, and you all do, do the pre-fishing with them, or do you fish the tournaments with them? How does that, how does that work? Well... I've you know I've fished a lot of tournaments. I've really done well on a lot of tournaments too, and I don't encourage the pre-fishing part. If if you get the guy that knows where he's at, you know, in the bay system, you don't need to be out there the day before punishing those fish or okay. look, those fish right there can be the fish that just leave them alone. That's right. Uh, but I encourage my people if we're fishing a tournament geared up gear yourself up for a tournament it's not like fishing on a weekend with your buddies you know you want to you have all your tackle ready you want to be on the boat ready when they blow the horn for you to leave the harbor you don't want to be dilly down and go get your sunglasses it's time to be running and gunning and uh, another thing the guys that go for these tournaments they're really like i said earlier polished people they're professional fishermen almost to that extent that they know their business so you better gear yourself up to fish with people like that and it's important you know that that you're prepared if you think you're going to win now i mean there's been people that luckily win i'm not saying that that's all luck because these guys are good i've uh i've had a little bit of success tournament fishing uh one of the heaviest stringers we put up was uh sixteen twelve and that was uh back in oh six and uh you know we had twenty twenty five mile an hour northern come through and you know the drains were falling. It was a pretty epic day. Uh 
we threw uh, a lot of corkies uh, uh, worth. The one in particular that that day really worked was uh, Solid Pearl. And a lot of guys now are buying this custom corky for 15 bucks. It's <laughs> Solid Pearl. <laughs> and uh, that day was pretty epic. Uh, you know, I got that lure from Paul. I, I love the Brown family. I can't say uh, enough good things about them. But uh, anyway, I would got that lure from Paul and... Uh, Man, I had three trout that morning. None were really, really huge. They were all about five pounds and under the 25-inch mark. Mm-hmm. And my partner had a 612. But both of us probably could have weighed in and taken first and second individually if we had chose to do it that way, but we decided not to. All off that one lure? He was, I think he was throwing a pearl and chartreuse, and I was throwing a solid pearl. But, you know, that wind did picked up you know like i said 20 25 miles an hour and so the water had a pretty good stain to it mm. you know, it was yeah pretty brown so and uh once uh i mean literally we had probably 200 birds in that cove pelicans seagulls diving and it you know it actually started off kind of slow for me uh uh i caught one fish right away and then couldn't get a bite, and then I finally got out to this point where some shell was, and uh, we just put the hammer down. I mean, threw in there five-pound trout, threw back in there five-pound trout, threw back in there twenty-five-inch flounder, threw back in there five-pound trout, and I mean, it was just wow. I mean, we were the tournament was done by nine o'clock that morning. So, yeah, and Shane, <laughs> see, this this pre-fishing deal last year, I was able to win the Gads Cup, and I had a good crew. By nine o'clock, we we'd already had our fish, but we fished the, the day out, we, not knowing, and we came in and we blew the doors off everybody else, and that's how it can be. Uh, you just got to put yourself in those positions, you know, where where are our fish, and they're concentrated here. Well, let's leave them alone. You know, let's don't bust them up. Yeah, that uh, story I just told y'all, we didn't we didn't pre-fish because the front was coming through and. We just kind of knew what the weather was going to do and, yeah. and everything. But at, at other times, I do like to, to pre-fish and just check different spots, you know. You still fish tournaments regularly? Um, I got out of it for a long time when the boat started going 80, 90 miles an hour. Uh, it was just kind of hard to compete. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to invest the amount of money to do that for the payout on a tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, economically it didn't make sense for me so i got out of it for a long time and uh just now getting back into it uh last year i fished four or five tournaments i think we won like five or six trophies okay so you uh just do local tournaments or you just you go up and down predominantly local right now um i'd like to find a tournament partner to to travel with but uh not there yet yeah okay so during these during these tournaments, um, what's the etiquette, boaters' etiquette like on the water? Do you do you see a different mentality with no. with folks, or is it? It's cutthroat. I mean, uh, we pulled up to a spot, and I uh, had a good friend of mine, Jen Wilkes from Camo Girl. Uh, she was fishing with us. We pulled up, and you know how we talked about earlier about you know drifting in, stealthy, mm-hmm. everything else. So. I was going to have a couple of my girls jump out, 
and uh, this was in the lingerie on the bay tournament which is a great tournament uh locally here um and uh you know i have my lights on my boat the girls are about to jump in and uh have a guy just come right in and and cut me off i mean he didn't give us 50 yards and you know it was only a 100 yard weight and i'm sitting here trying to tell him you know hey you know so it really i guess boils down to the individual um there's not a lot of honor in some of these people nowadays which yeah. is it's a shame yeah you know shane i tell people that you know uh like matt saying uh fish like one of the I brings back memories was all field uh, all men's tournament and uh i had a guy cut a, one of my lady waiters off and i told him then i went over and talked to him but i said listen i don't own anything out here nothing if this belongs to me i said but i do have honor i will honor you if you honor me and these people that don't want to you know cut in front of you cut your weight you know they don't honor you and I, I don't appreciate it yeah and it'll get through my skin pretty quick sometimes you ask what attributes you have to be to be a guide you got to be thick skinned mm-hmm. but but uh also you got to be man enough to say that's not right yeah speak your mind yeah. speak up when you see something not right it kind of segues into um we talked a little bit before about this before we're recording about that um guide certification deal i haven't heard much on that recently um maybe it was two or three years ago that i heard some folks in parks and wildlife were kind of entertaining the idea of of there being a guide certification process and you know there could have they could have education components to it it could have um certainly some safety more safety components to it but i think this etiquette issue um it also is could be an instrumental part of that i don't think you're going to change Stupid people are going to do stupid things. You know, you can't change that. Right. But if you can educate folks on, I think, to the point that you just said, nobody owns, individually owns the water, but collectively we do. I mean, as citizens of Texas, that's our shared resource. And and it comes down to having that honor, like you guys said, and and respect for your fellow man. And, you know. The golden rule. I mean, that certainly applies uh, on the water. Absolutely. Well, you, I was fortunate enough, you know, when I started fishing, you ask, well, when did I start? Well, heck, I started so far back, I can't tell you exactly when, but there wasn't that many guys out there. There wasn't that many people out there. And, heck, you'd go down the shoreline, you'd be lucky to see somebody, you know. And I still hold that dearly, you know. I see a boat over here and three guys out. I'm finding me another spot. I'm not pulling in right beside them. I really do think a lot of these people are afraid to be by themselves. <laughs> they see somebody scattered out. Well, heck, you know, they're in the right spot because, you know, that's where I want to be. I want to be around somebody, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you're really looking for fish, that's not where you want to be. But yeah, uh, another thing, I, and particularly since what happened last weekend with these three young men is – We've got the ability now to to pull up the weather and pay a particular attention yeah. to the weather. And don't put yourself in those situations where those fronts are going to come in on you and get you in really bad trouble. Uh, 
you know every phone now i mean you can get the weather just about any way you want to but uh you know i, I see people staying out too late or going out heck the week after christmas is in the harbor people showing up in shorts and t-shirts i pulled it up on my phone there's a squall line coming through west matagorda bay right traveling east moving fast people headed out to east bay yeah i sat back i said well, we won't wait till this front get or this squall line gets through i met every one of those boats and people in t-shirts and shorts coming back to the harbor when i was going out behind the rain they were shivering they were cold mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's that hypothermia can set it in on you real quick you get yourself in those weather fronts and get caught out there in the water survival's tough yeah we did a uh did a podcast with uh, law enforcement kevin glass game warden up there in north houston and you know he 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 tried to drive home the uh water safety component um that's that's one of his fortes in his profession is um, water safety and a lot of people are cavalier about the weather and they're cavalier about their life jackets and their pfds and um he's like man there's no excuse for not having them available really he wants you know you need to be wearing them especially these inflatables where they, they don't you don't even remember you have them and on your kill switch you know a lot of people don't wear their, their kill switch you mm -hmm. have to wear that kill switch guys you know um it's it's gonna save lives you know i mean even if you're by yourself you know you need to have that thing on accidents happen all the time you know um you know that's one thing uh a lot of people don't may not realize about fishing down here on the on the coast is especially close to you know rivers and stuff is when these big rains come through there's a lot of logs and stuff that get pushed out in the rivers they get pushed out in icw they get pushed out in the bay i mean there's a log or a telephone pole that's in the uh just east of cook's camp in the icw right now and uh uh you know if you don't have a mark on that you know that's real dangerous you know you're gonna you could sink your yeah. boat. You could kill somebody. I heard a guy recently hit hit it, and uh, I guess I think he had a Honda motor, and supposedly the lower unit came off or something like that. Well, what it did, it flipped that motor inside the boat with him, and he had a wow a, a bracket on the back that it knocked completely off of that aluminum. It was an aluminum boat, and uh, like Matt's saying, you know, you don't know what's under that water. Yeah, we got what we call the diversion channel going into East Matag uh, West Matagorda Bay. And uh, coming out of Bragg's Cut, running down that diversion, then you get to the bay itself is a big delta. Lord have mercy. It's, I call it a minefield. You really better know where you're going. I've never been through there, but just looking at that area on a map, it's like, and it's got to be constantly changing. Exactly. Like, it is. There's new sandbars, new logs, uh, everything else. Uh a couple of local guys, along with LCRA, um, kind of mark it and uh, keep the uh, channel marked. But, you know, then it comes back to knowing your tide levels. Yeah. You know, because there's a new bar over there right now. And if you don't have the tide, you're not going to get over it. Right. So, I mean, it's uh, that's the thing about being a fisherman, a fishing guide, 
and I guess the coast in general is just that it's always changing. You know, um, I tell people that my job description is I pay attention for a living. You know. Yeah, well, that's a good way to put it. You know. Yeah. And you tell them too, man. I've heard you say this too. You know, let's go out and have fun. But the most important thing is that we return home to safety. Yeah. Yep. You know, let's go catch fish and let's have fun. But let's get back. The to only safe. thing that matters at the end of the day is we all get back to the to the harbor. See, and so safely. just hearing y'all talk about this stuff just tells me that you know there's there's going to be some if that ever happens. There's value in new folks that that want to become guides that they go through this process so that the learning curve is 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 a little bit shorter and they don't have to have 10 years or six years of experience mm-hmm. um, you know they can get into the field with a just a, a general knowledge of some of the things to keep their clients safe and to get home safe you know right so well having a good network is priceless you know uh in the guide business you know especially like with these new sandbars, uh, these new logs that pop up, you know, talking to your buddies, you know, before a trip and, oh, hey, you know, I saw this. If you go over here, be careful, you know. Right. Uh, that's just priceless, you know, and that's part of the brotherhood of the, of the yeah. guide business, which is awesome. And, you, yeah, I don't – it. I imagine it would be extremely difficult just to jump in on your own and do it. Like, you know, you had Jesse as a mentor, and, um, and, and I assume he helped you get to where you are you know yes sir him uh, and uh captain rob cummings also okay do y'all will you are there um how big are are y'all's networks i mean how many guides jerry will you work with or do you work with you know share trips or information a few you know a a few i do uh but matt and i really became close in the last over a year now but uh him and i are pretty well that's it for for me uh now i've had other guys yes you know throw me a bone and every you know now and then when they get a little overflow mm-hmm. but uh fortunately like i say I, I was a little di- bit different i didn't have to depend on my guiding business to live off of it you know but I enjoy it so much, and I love doing it. And I've heard it said that if you love something, it's not it's not work. And it's exactly the way I treat it. And I just enjoy being out there with people. Because me and Jerry are probably going to go fish either way. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well get paid to do it. That's right. <laughs> oh, man. Is there anything else y'all wanted to discuss? I, I would, if y'all got a story, another story or two to share, that'd be it'd be pretty awesome you got a story jerry well probably do but uh you know i i think back you know some of the funny things uh i had a young man that came down with his dad and they went through bass pro shop on their way down and bought one of these carrot rods and it was a seven footer stiff as heck orange (laughs) and he was so proud of that rod you know he's like 14 years old man captain look here daddy bought me oh my man I, you know i had broomstick yeah that's exactly <laughs> what i thought but you know i said man this is nice i said a really nice rod well, lo and behold if that young man didn't catch a 30 inch trout that day <laughs> and here i am you know 
holding this trout up, you know, and I'm taking the hook out of him. And I said, young man, I said, oh, I hope you understand this might be a long time before you redo what Lifetime you Lifetime achievement at 14. <laughs> he, said, he said something about me and my new rods. I said, yeah, it yeah. definitely was a rod. This definitely was a carrot stick. Well, I said to his dad, I said, well, you want to keep his fish? You want to let it go? He said, well, can't we fillet it? I said, yeah, you can fillet it. But I said, you know, this is a quality fish. Throw I, it on the I, wall or throw right. it back. Yeah. I said, you ought to think about mounting this fish. Well, how much would that cost? I said, well, you know, I'm not sure how much it would cost you. It would cost you several hundred dollars to do that. No, I think we ought to fillet it. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't discourage him. Well, I encourage people, you know, to let those big fish go. I mean, they're not even good to eat. You know, they're just too big. Same way the redfish is oversized like that. Yeah, you want to catch it? Sure. It's fun. Get a picture. Get a picture. Let these kind of fish go. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Matt. All right. So I got a story about a client of mine. So he hired me to take him out one day, and uh, we were sitting at the harbor waiting on a squall to pass through, and uh, I mean, it was pretty nasty weather, but we finally got a little break in the afternoon and were able to slide out. And uh, the kid was a novice. He was only like 21. Uh, he's became a good friend since then, and I'm kind of grooming him. Uh, but, uh, you know, I told him all all day that day, I said, man, there's a big one in here. I said, there is a big fish in here. And uh, so... He watches me put on a clinic. I'm sitting there, and I'm doing everything in the world trying to get him to catch catch them. Uh, you know, I had a 28 come up and jump over my top water, and then I said, hey, sneak in here real quick. You know, I didn't throw back in there. I said, go ahead and throw in there. And he threw in there and couldn't get the fish to eat. So anyway, we uh, we uh, fished, fished this little area. We had walked through them. And uh, we took off, went and looked at some other stuff, and I'm like, man, I got to get this guy on on a fish. You know, I already had seven or eight really nice fish on the stringer, and he didn't have anything. And uh, we, uh, I was like, man, let's go back to that spot. I said, we walked through and uh, step out of the boat, and I've caught two on top waters, and then he finally caught one on tails. And I said, hey, uh, Jared, I said, uh, Tie on that white skitter walk I gave you. And uh, he ties it on, and, you know, he's in the prime spot for where that fish should be, and he throws it out there. Boosh! And uh, he finally gets the fish up to him. He goes, Cap, 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 I think I got that big one you've been talking about all day. <laughs> and, I mean, it was just priceless. Uh, great kid and, and, a, and a great uh you know, happy ending to a to a great day of fishing. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. It's you know creating those memories with your friends and your family. I'm glad you brought that up because um, that's the that's kind of the res, you know the, the resounding um, theme that that I've been hearing when I've been speaking with um, folks up and down the coast is, is about you know the real what are the real values in the guide business is that you guys provide memories right for folks right 
and um, that's something that won't freeze or burn. That's something that won't exactly. sour. Right. That's something that they'll always have and Absolutely. can rely on, or the, the memories that, that you know, the experiences that, that you guys create for them on the water is what they carry with them for the rest of their lives. And I think that that's that's worth the price of admission, right there. Absolutely, Matt yeah. knows, and and, and you, you probably don't, but. Shane, I also I work with an organization called Serve Outdoors, and what they do they take disabled people and wounded soldiers, and I've been involved with them from the beginning. And I'll take these GIs out there that have their leg blowed off, or you know, they're young men, and you just you wilt with them, you know, when when they catch a fish, yeah. and it's so rewarding, and same way with young kids when when you take young kids i had a kid catch a i think it was a 42 inch redfish <laughs> he's fighting this redfish back up and he tells me he says golly i can't stop him i said i understand <laughs> i said just stay with me you know and he's pumping that rod and finally we get him up and he's i think i got him i said no he hadn't seen the boat yet <laughs> <laughs> he's got one more run in him it started all over again and he told me he said man i've never caught anything bigger than a perch he said this is something else yeah and uh he was one of the first to say let's release this fish you know his dad said let's release his, his mother and his sister were with us so that's a memory that they carried with them forever they yeah. will carry it yeah and you're right you know those are cherished moments and we get to see it and enjoy it with them. Well, it's special. Well, guys, um, y'all got anything else you want to share? Any final thoughts? No. Um, I've got one. Okay. Um, I uh, brought my rod with me. <laughs> Let's go fishing. And my wading boots. <laughs> oh, you're good, then. Let's go fishing. Let's do it. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you all for listening to the Coastal Advocacy Adventures podcast brought to you by the Coastal Conservation Association. So after we recorded this podcast with Captains Jerry West and Matagorda Matt, we went on a little fishing trip and let me tell you guys, they took me to school and I was flunking. Now the classroom was the north shoreline of East Matagorda Bay. I've never really claimed to be an excellent fisherman. And that little trip we took that afternoon was a reminder to me as to why it would be so foolish for me to ever make such a brazen statement. I couldn't get a bite, couldn't get a nibble, couldn't get a bump no matter what I tried. Then on our final spot, Matagorda Matt put us on a little drift and he shared a little bit of his fish slime with me for my gambler lure that he let me borrow. And then he showed me a better way to work my lure while drift fishing for trout. So, just after hearing his advice earlier in the day about listening to your guide, not just two hours earlier, I was inclined to do exactly what he told me to do. And it wasn't just a couple of casts later and I was on the board and I started to regain my self-esteem and restore my credibility as a fisherman. And I'm still no expert by any means, probably never will be, but I learned something new that day. And I think that's what these guys will provide you. Like if you book a trip with Jerry West or Matagorda, Matt David, not only will you have a quality fishing experience, but you'll come away with a little more knowledge. You'll come away, 
as a little better angler, and most importantly, you'll come away with a greater appreciation and understanding of the fishery, in this case, East Matagorda Bay. Both of these guys are staunch supporters of CCA and have offered up several trips at Matagorda area uh, chapter banquets. So if you'd like to book a trip with either Jerry West or Matagorda Matt, you can go to their websites. Jerry's website is Slip Away on the Bay, and Matagorda Matt's is Captain Matagorda Matt, and it's spelled C-A-P-T, Matagorda Matt. Um, Both of their websites also come up if you do a Google search for their names, so that's another way you can find their contact information. Anyways, thanks again, everyone, for listening in. Stay coastal.